Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Running a restaurant involves making a lot of tough decisions, but choosing Touch Bistro's POS isn't one of them. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, offers an all-in-one POS and restaurant management system that's easy to use, easy to manage, and easy to afford. Find out why thousands of restaurants trust Touch Bistro to help them simplify operations, increase sales, and deliver a great guest experience. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. Well, thank you for joining us on another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. And I'm Barry Schuster, Restaurant Startup and Growth and RestaurantOwner.com. And today we've got a very special presentation because we're going to be talking about an extremely hot topic, people in our industry, the finding, the, the training, the retaining, the, the developing, et cetera. And so we've got... We've got David Jones, who is the president of the Excellence Advisory, to to talk about that and more with Barry and I. So, David, welcome to Corner Booth. Well, hi, guys. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You all do such good work, not just with the podcast, but with your magazine and with restaurantowner.com. I consider it a great honor to be here. And I also consider it a little bit of a challenge that we might set the bar really high for your guests in the future who are coming on here. Hey, I like it. I like it. And just for the record, we would like everyone to know that that was a wonderful but unsolicited comment. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, David, uh, tell us about your background, how you went down this path, what you're doing. Uh, I think uh, our listeners really need to know uh, just how much experience you have in hospitality and the kind of things that you brought to the table. Do you mind you mind giving us a little bit of elevator talk on, on yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Barry. Uh, I started out as an engineer, actually. Went to school at Purdue, got an engineering degree, was recruited from there down to here where I am now, uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. If you're familiar with the area, it's a beautiful part of the country, up in the mountains, up in the corner between uh, Virginia and North Carolina. And um, we're actually having a really beautiful day today, too. And so I came down here to work for Texas Instruments in engineering. Was with that facility. It changed hands a few times, but I was there for 25 years. Along the way, I got to meet some interesting people who I think we'll probably talk about later on in in, uh, this podcast. My background started in sort of engineering and manufacturing and then some years in sales. And so it's interesting how all those also play a part in restaurant, because engineering is about systems and processes, problem solving. Manufacturing is all about systems and processes, and sales is about people and relationships. Mm -hmm. So if you think about systems and processes and relationships, that's what restaurants are about too. Sure. In fact, I can tell you a story. We'll we'll probably get into PALS here in in a minute, but when PAL, the founder of PALS, PAL Barger, and Tom Crosby were looking at how can they improve their business, one of the things they recognized was, hey, you know, we're not just a restaurant. We're, we're really more of a manufacturing operation. 
And that's when things really turned for them, turned up for the, for the better, much better. I noticed you also had a successful stint in education. And maybe you could highlight a little bit on that and talk about how your experience with your education company may have also helped you with what then became training and development of people. Yeah, two sides to that. One is I've been an adjunct professor at uh, East Tennessee State University and then at Milligan University here in their MBA program. And so that was about, you know, sharing with the future leaders and, and business people these same principles and practices. But then also, I took an entrepreneurial leap after 25 years in the Fortune 500 world. A friend of mine and I, we started an educational products business. And it served the K through 12 market. We had a patented product. It was award-winning business was award-winning. And I really learned how to adapt or adopt to a new market and new customers and apply the principles of business excellence to a different segment in order to make that successful. We sold that business a couple of years ago, and I still miss it. So much fun to be around teachers and homeschoolers and parents who are trying to help their kids learn better, you know, be successful in the world. There's a a strong element of customer service that comes in from that because we were very closely connected to our customers there. If I'm not mistaken, and if I am, please correct me, but you have been heavily involved in quality management. Uh, We're involved in um, bringing a Malcolm Baldridge award to to pounds. Is, Is that correct? They won the award before I became involved. Mm -hmm. In fact, they were so good at what they did there at PALS. They were getting people from all over the nation, even from around the world, coming and asking them, hey, you know, can we spend some time with you? Can we can we learn? Can we you know, we like to you know, get some of the same results you're getting. And so Tom and David McClaskey got together. David is also an instructor consultant from this area. And they formed the PALS Business Excellence Institute in a very PALS-like fashion. They -hmm. said, we're going to be systematic about the way we share this information. Mm -hmm. And so they set up the institute. And then as it grew, then David reached out to me and said, hey, um, would you like to become uh, part of this journey Mm -hmm. here? And which I did for seven years and just loved every minute. I never would have thought, you know, when I was in engineering school, that I would be here teaching people how to make Frenchie fries and mm-hmm. how to wash dishes and things like that. But uh, it's, it was just absolute thrill, absolute thrill to, thrill to be involved. That Malcolm Baldrige Award, they already had that when I became involved. What we did was we taught what pals learned through that process and how they improved their operations to literally off the chart numbers. So where we are right now, and and of course, we want to hear about your views on people development, uh, addressing some of the labor issues. But in terms of where we are now, this emphasis you had as an engineer, understanding processes, understanding efficiencies, understanding how to make things work smoothly, how can that inform us now in terms of what's going on post-pandemic? Um, mm-hmm. Is there something that our, re- our listeners could, could gain from you know, hearing you talk about, hey, you know, 
there's some real opportunities here if you change the way you do things. Yeah, absolutely great. What you have to do is think from your customer's mindset. So you put yourself in your customer's shoes and ask, what is it that they want? Because one of the common mistakes I see is um, operators or owners will will be in in a sort of a trade-off mindset. Like, well, we can serve it fast or we can serve it hot, but you, you're really probably not going to get both, right? Or, or we, can, we, can, we can have high quality food, but we're not going to have low cost. And that's not the way your customers think. Your customers want and, not or. They want quality and speed or whatever, the, whatever their requirements are. So we, ha- we have to start by understanding what are the customer requirements and then build the business around that. And that's a, a, lot of, a lot of owners get enamored with their menu or their concept and really should be a little more enamored than they are with their guests and what their needs are. Well, and that sounds like general principles that can be adapted, whether you are an established business or new, um, whether you're drive-through or not, counter service, uh, with or without a bar, full service, the idea of just starting from the customer's point of view. Um, okay, so for the listener that says, okay, I get it, my customers are obviously pivoting. They're wanting more convenience. They're, they want uh, delivery, they want curbside pickup, they want food safety, they still wanna basically dine out, but they're dining out differently because of what the pandemic taught them. Mm-hmm. So um, if, if, if we're thinking like the customer then, how are we emphasizing service still through managers and through their staff with, with this type of customer preference? Yeah, so, so that whole pivot means the customer requirements have changed a little bit, which we all know, it's, it's obvious, right? So we have to drill down. So if they say um, customer wants curbside pickup, contactless curbside pickup, then we have to say, all right, what what parts about that are meaningful to them? In other words, how long do they wait by the curb before the food comes out? Uh, That sort of thing. And, And so the customer will tell you, if you ask them, they'll say, well, I don't want to wait very long. And that's fine. What does very, not very long mean? And so you have to sort of narrow that down, drill down, keep drilling down until you get to something that you can measure. So if the customer says, you know, if I'm here longer than two minutes, then I'm starting to get impatient. Okay, good. Now we have something we can work towards. Now we can look at our systems and processes. Can we get that food to the curb in two minutes from from the time they park to the time they get their food. And so we change our systems and processes. We change the way we train our people. We change the way we measure so that we can hit those targets. And obviously that's just one, there's gonna be more um, as you drill down. And again, from the customer's viewpoint, figure out what it is that they're paying for. The customer defines value. We don't define value as the owner or the operator. Um, 
the customer defines value. It's what they're willing to pay you for. So you have to understand what do they want? That's what we're going to try and get them. It didn't take long, did it, Barry, for us to get to that point where um, operators have to listen, understand, and, and willingness to change. Uh, that's what I got out of what you were just explaining, David, because there was too much of this, uh, what I can't do, that the independent operators will say. We hear a lot of that, you know, uh, I can't uh, make my menu travel better. You know, um, uh, I can't do this menu to go. You know, I can't serve things faster. And what we're seeing, however, is those that are willing, though, to dig a little deeper uh, and maybe even adjust the menu to offer what they can rather than what they can't. Um, and then promote, you know, what they, you know, can do, like curbside, maybe instead of third-party delivery. Uh, those, are the, those are the winners. So, yeah, it didn't take long for you to hit that nail on the head. One of the things I'd like to ask uh, along that line, uh, David, is, you know, if, if I have a, a large company and I want to know more about my customers, I have design thinking sessions, focus groups, I hire marketing quants to do surveys and gap analysis, and I find out that, gee, you know, we're delivering 10 and our guests only want six, but we're delivering six here and our guests want 10, and all this really fun MBA stuff. But can you bring it down to the independent operator who's got to make good decisions Um uh, do they have to ramp up their game in terms of consulting or um, am I making it way more complicated than it need be? Yeah, it doesn't need to be very complicated. I mean, when you carry that food out to the car, ask them, how long do you expect to wait? I mean, you just, you know, you can just gather the, the info on the spot. You don't have to have uh, set up timers and computers and all that. You just one day sit there with your watch and, See, how long is it taking us? And uh, just track it that way. You know, you're going to track in the different day parts to see if there's a difference between the lunch rush and the breakfast or whatever. But it doesn't have to be overly complicated. It just has to align with what you're trying to accomplish as an organization and what the customer wants. If I'm, if I'm not reading too much between the lines, one of the things I'm hearing or I'm a conclusion I'm jumping to if you want to do this well, man, you better listen to your frontline staff. You better listen to that busser, that food runner, that server, because they're the ones who are talking to the customer and they're the ones who are finding out what makes them happy and doesn't. Am I um, jumping to conclusions here that may be mm -hmm. a little bit off? No, not at all. In fact, I always recommend to my clients to use every resource available to you. And your frontline folks are one of your best resources because they're the ones that are rubbing up against your customers day in and day out or your guests, you know, whatever you uh, choose to call them. Um, they're right there. If you're an owner, you may not even be in the restaurant this week. You, know, you may be somewhere else. Um, yeah. I think, I think looking back, the successful uh, independents are the ones that quickly went from embracing this change this customer change in their buying habit to engaging their staff. Uh, this, the staff uh, typically um, have great uh, opinions on subjects and suggestions that many times work. Uh, and then isn't there the additional benefit too then? It's much easier to implement something. It's much easier to hold somebody responsible 
if they had some involvement in the development of what it is we're doing, the process, the promotion, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot greater chance of buy-in. What you have to be careful about, though, is you don't want to say, okay, everybody, uh, go off and, and make things better. You know, improve whatever you want. Just keep making it better because you can actually create chaos if everybody's changing and now, you know, uh, be like the quarterback turning around to hand off the ball and the, and the running back has decided to go to the left instead of the right, you know, and now, now we've got a fumble or a, or a sack. So what you have to do is collect those ideas, have a system or a process in place for collecting those and then piloting them, trying them out on a small scale, making sure they work before you say, yep, this is the new way. So you lock down what you currently have. Okay. You say, this is our best known way. This is the way we're going to do it. We're always going to do it this way until we have a new best known way. And here's how we get to a new one. You submit the idea. We use our resources to decide which ones we can go try. We try them. We get the bugs worked out of them. And then we launch them. We retrain everybody in a systematic fashion without creating chaos. We don't need any more chaos right now. We've got too many other unknowns going on. So we have another customer we have to be concerned with, our employees. And now they have a lot of leverage that they maybe didn't have 10 years ago. How do we apply these mindsets and techniques to winning over people we need to serve the customers, to make the customers happy? Have you all noticed that the restaurants that are having the least amount of trouble now with staff had the least amount of trouble before COVID? That seems to be what we've learned from our podcasts and from talking to operators. Yes, that I have noticed that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so um, some people are hiding behind COVID saying COVID's causing all these problems. Coming in. Well, no, I think it's just surfaced them. It's sort of revealed them in a, in a maybe put a magnifying glass on them. Um, but it, I know you guys remember before COVID, there was a hiring crisis. It was sure. hard to get stuff. That's absolutely sure. I remember in 2018 having a, a podcast uh, actually in the United Kingdom with a, with a, a consultant there. And, and we spent quite a bit of time talking about how difficult it has been to find people to take these jobs for various reasons. Yeah. And, and so that all got magnified by COVID. Right. And, and what you find is there's a handful of factors. Most of them lead back to one word and that's respect. Hmm. The employees didn't feel respected and that comes in many, many forms. So you can disrespect an employee um, just through your manners, you know, if you don't spend uh, time with them or be polite to them. But you can also disrespect an employee by not training them properly. I, I'll give you a good example. My wife and I, after church one Sunday, we were going to go off on a drive. This was pre-COVID. Uh, she wanted a cup of coffee. So we stopped at the QSR, a large, major, international QSR everybody would recognize and first thing I noticed, of course, you know, I'm in the business, so I'm, I'm looking around and the parking lot not very clean. But I also noticed the, the reason I could tell the parking lot wasn't clean was because there weren't many cars in it. 
and there weren't many cars in the drive-through. So we walk in and the inside is about as unclean for an inside as the outside was. And uh, there's hardly any guests in there. So we walk up to the counter, beautiful young lady, smiling, happy to see us. Hi, may I take your order? And my wife added a, I think it was a grilled chicken sandwich. And this young girl was just, her, her finger was sort of helicoptering over the POS. And she just, you know, hovering there, could not figure out how to enter in a grilled chicken sandwich. And most of us would think, you know, that's probably not a hard thing to do, but she couldn't. She couldn't get it. So she had to turn around and holler at the assistant manager who came up. And I know you guys have seen this. She comes up with this attitude, right? And this, this kind of aggressive stride and a scowl on her face. And she walks up and she goes, bang, 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 bang. She hammers in the order and she turns around and walks away with a scowl. I'm feeling really sorry for this young lady there, you know, this whole experience. And so I just leaned forward. I said, how long have you been working here? And she said, oh, today's my first day. Here's a young lady who has not been fully trained, has been left alone and is being treated horribly, disrespected by this assistant manager. And so all of that could have easily been prevented. Sure. With a little more training, a little, you know, so we can talk about this too. Everything goes back to leadership. Uh But in this case, I saw such a, a horrible example of disrespect for the employee. It's no wonder they have such high turnover, right? Why would you subject yourself to that day in and day out when you can go down the street, get another job somewhere else? Exactly. And, yeah. And we got, and, and I think leadership, I don't know how many people I've talked to who are successful operators to say, you know what, your, your managers are going to make or break your restaurant and if they don't have a good attitude. Um, and I, I can think of other examples. I think of examples with my own son who's in hospitality, working at a restaurant and he liked working there. It wasn't a lot of money, but he said, I'm learning stuff. I like the people I work with. And he was running food. And uh, after a couple of weeks, he kept noticing customers kept making asking for modifications to this one dish. And he went to the general manager and said, you know, I keep hearing about, you know, these people wanting this modification. Maybe we should change the menu item. And the general manager said, you know, you're here to run food, not to have ideas. And other than that, he was happy staying there. Now he... The next week, he was working another job for another for two dollars an hour more. Yeah, there you go, there you go. I think I think, uh, and hopefully the listeners are taking this to heart because the, when you mentioned David, the starting with respect, um, I'm thinking in my experience the countless amount of clients that I worked with that once we started talking about staff, staff relations, um, the the initial response we would get is staff wants this. You know, staff wants too much. You know, staff doesn't really want to work anymore. My staff, they always want extra this, extra that. But yet what you started with was uh, staff really want to be respected. And the best way to show respect really is to show that their work is important enough to you. So if training is important, then train. 
Um, that's what I'm hearing. And if you're going to give somebody time and knowledge, you're showing them that it's important for them to know this. But if it's your first day and you're thrown out there and you haven't been shown, see, then what you're being shown is um, it isn't important enough to leadership that I know these things. So why are you so surprised that I don't know them? So, David, what about, you know, on leadership, um, you've obviously given a great deal of thought. Where are operators failing in terms of leadership selection, training, whatever? Can you share any any anecdotes or observations on that one? Yeah. The, the biggest issue I see is they find their best server or their best host or whoever, and they promote them. Mm-hmm. And they don't give them any training on how to be a shift lead or how to be an assistant manager or how to be uh, whatever title they have. And they, they just have this mindset of, well, they're smart people. They'll figure it out. You know, and there's others they can ask, or they've been around long enough. They should know. And again, it's disrespectful to throw them into a situation where they don't have the training or the experience to succeed. Um, not only that, you know, you, you can get into the, the whole issue of hourly versus salary when you throw somebody into a management position, make them salaried, and actually work them longer hours. Um, mm-hmm. Another form of disrespect. Uh, so, yeah, find, so uh, oh, I'm, no, I'm sorry. I just thought, do you find that one of the problems with people doing that is that they just naturally think that if you're my better server or if you're my longest tenured this, I should promote you to be the trainer because you're probably going to be the best trainer. I, I mean, is that what they're thinking? Rather than actually search and find who might be your best trainer. Exactly. Exactly. They, they just jump to that conclusion. It's an assumption. Um, and sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't. Mm. You, you, you can't expect people to, to just by osmosis know all this stuff. So to go back to your original question, Greg, where they're missing the point is they're not developing their people. Now, there could be a lot of reasons behind that. Most restaurateurs are so caught up in the doing, 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 and making things happen all day long that they're really not thinking about tomorrow. And included in that thinking about tomorrow would be how do I develop my people and get them ready to meet the future. Mm-hmm. So you have to really carve out the time. You have to make the time. You can't say, well, when I get time, I'll say, you never get the time. You, it, work fills the time that you have. So you have to say, all right, 10% of my work week, whatever that is, four hours, eight hours, whatever that is, I'm going to be working on the future of this business. I'm going to start with my people. I'm going to work on developing these folks, or I'm going to start on my menu or wherever it is. You got to make that a priority in your workday or it'll never happen. And then what happens if, as that goes, then those leaders or those owners, they actually are on a treadmill of their own making and they have a hard time getting off. And then, they can't take vacations because everything has to go through them. They can't sell or pass this business on uh, when that time comes because everything's in their head. Everything has to go through them. So they really kind of box themselves in a bad corner if they're not careful. They don't carve out that time to be thinking about those important things that are not urgent. 
you seem to have a high opinion of of individuals, which I think is is really great. It sounds to me that the failures are not because you don't have quality people from the owner down to the dishwasher. The failures have to do with properly preparing them and training them for their jobs. Yeah, that has a lot to do with it. Um, most people are capable of doing way more than what we ask them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ask the, the owners, they'll tell you in the back of their mind, they, they just have this feeling that this business should be doing better. It could do more. We, we could, you know, we could have less term. We could have greater profitability. Just, just not quite getting there. Yeah. Right? Because they're so caught up in the day-to-day, they're not thinking about how can we make the system or process better so that it does generate those results. Do you find, too, that, um, that when people spend the time to develop their staff, um, that the, the staff not only performs better, uh, feels more comfortable, actually stays longer, um, and then with that, it's easier to attract people because the work environment's totally changed? Or am I assuming too much? No, no, you're right on. In fact, um, one of the big things that that I try and coach uh, my clients on is you have a brand as a business. Your customers, when when they see your name or your logo, they think certain things about your business. You also have a brand as an employer. So when a potential employee sees your logo or hears your name, they have uh, thoughts that go through their mind of what would it be like to work there? And most leaders don't guard that employer brand. They guard their business brand and the employer brand gets neglected. So one of the easiest tests that they can uh, make is ask their current employees Hey, this past Thanksgiving, when you were sitting around the table with all your family and they asked you, how's it going at work? What did you tell them? (laughs) Yeah, that gives you a clue as to what the environment is like in your restaurant. And is that going to be attractive to others? So, yeah, they train me. You know, they give me all the tools I need. Our equipment's always working. Our shake machine hasn't been down in four years you know, on and on and on, all this great stuff, then that's a great place to work. And that word will spread. I think um, I wanted to share with you, I wish I would have stopped and taken a picture, but I think I saw evidence of this just the other day. I was driving through a little small town here and um, these little independent cafes, they all have their sign. They all have their daily special board. And of course they all said now hiring, accepting applications, now hiring. And then finally, I saw one that said, I love working here. Come work with me, Jocelyn. There you go. (laughs) Okay, that one must be doing it right. Uh, They probably have no trouble finding people. (laughs) Take a picture of it. (laughs) I should have. I'm going back. Well, please do and send it to me. I I could use that. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro powers thousands of restaurants with its all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform. Beyond its exceptionally easy-to-use point of sale, Touch Bistro provides best-in-class customer engagement products for online ordering, loyalty, email marketing, and gift cards. Whether you're focused on restaurant operations or keeping customers coming back for more, 
Touch Bistro can help. And now, back to Chris and Barry. David, a, a, a lot of this sounds very organic, and that's great. I mean, we don't want to get bogged down uh, by analysis, but you're obviously not afraid of numbers. You're, you have an engineering background. Are, are there are there certain metrics that you really push uh, operators to track? Um, is there anything like that, that that you feel is important, or is this kind of something where, as an independent, you can you have a good attitude, you can fly by the seat of your pants? I don't ever recommend flying by the seat of your pants. Okay, that that's that's that gets you on that treadmill where you, okay. you just you can't get off. Um, you know, there are the core metrics that everybody likes to look at, prime cost and all that mm-hmm, stuff. Sure. Turnover, turnover is huge. But the biggest one that I look at is repeat business. Okay. If those customers are coming back, that means you're doing something right for them. Are there, are there, are there productivity metrics, you know, or, or is that going down a rabbit hole? No, no, it's not going down a, a rabbit hole. Um Obviously, sales per labor hour or sales per square foot are good to give you a comparison of where you stand um, in the industry because those numbers are readily available. Right? You can get those. Um, they're, they're probably on restaurantowner.com somewhere, some yeah. recommended references. And so I, I would recommend to your, whoever's listening to this, to, to, if you're not a member of restaurantowner.com, which I am, uh, join and get access to these resources um, and they'll help you narrow down what's important to you. Now, at the end of the day, it still needs to center around the customer. And that's why repeat business is such an important number because you really want, you really want loyal customers, not just satisfied customers. There's a difference between satisfaction and loyalty. And, and, you know, you can, with all the software as a service, you can get customer survey set up for you as as an independent. I think one of your recent um, uh, podcast guests was talking about uh, the digital tools available these days. Um, yes. You can get survey data that will tell you about customer satisfaction, but what you really want is loyalty. Satisfaction is a feeling. Loyalty is a behavior. So if I'm satisfied, I'm like, yeah, that was good. Sure. I may or may not go back. I'm, you know, nothing compelling me to, to return or to stay away. It was fine. And that organization, that, that restaurant will stay in business. They won't do great. They'll just be okay. You know, they'll be in the middle of the pack somewhere. Not easy these days, right, to, to be in business. So I'm not putting them down. Uh, but when you understand that loyalty is a behavior, that's where you get positive referrals, good word of mouth, they return, they bring their friends. And there's all kinds of data that shows loyal customers will go out of their way to visit your restaurant. They will be willing to pay more because they know they're getting more. Right. I like that. I like the way that said, feeling versus behavior. Uh, I've heard some successful operators uh, that do get that. You know, I wish more would, 
But because I've heard them explain to their staff that, you know, satisfied isn't good enough. That means you were here today. It feels good. But a loyal customer becomes our walking, talking marketing department because they're more likely to come back, spend more, bring people with them. And what I would really like them to get out of that is that those things that we just mentioned raise their revenue. If someone spends more, you just raise your sales. If somebody brings someone with them, you raise your sales. If I start coming back more often, you raised your sales. And you didn't have to do any of that by chasing the elusive new guy. Just take care of the guy that already likes you. Yeah. And if you think about it, you really didn't have to spend any money to get that because you were going to serve that customer anyway. You probably didn't add steps to your process. It's, it's, so let's say you own a coffee shop. Customer comes in, they stand in line, they place their order. They step aside, they wait for their coffee and their pastry or whatever, they sit down, they sip it, and then they bust their own table and they go. Every coffee shop operates the same way, but some are more popular than others. Why is that? Because they all go through the same steps. It's because some do the steps better than others. So it's not what you do, it's how you do it. So in the example you just mentioned, we got these extra sales and these extra customers at literally no cost. We were yeah. going through our steps as we always go through. We would have gone through those steps whether they came back or not. So you look at an organization like PALS, um, they spend on a per revenue basis about a third of what other restaurants spend on advertising. Mm-hmm because their operations are their best advertising. I don't know if, if, you're, if your point. listeners are familiar with PALS. It's a 30 restaurant uh, drive-through only QSR in East Tennessee and Southwest Virginia, hamburgers and hot dogs. Very simple menu, um, but they're really, really good at what they do. And um, it pays. I'm glad you mentioned that um, because one of my blind sides is we've been talking about PALS for so long as this uh, standard of how you do it. And then, of course, the owner who embraced what we were doing. So it's almost like uh, we we look at them as a household word. But, uh, yeah, this is uh, it, it's a amazingly successful quick service with, you know, good employees and they do things well. And, and uh, they've been good friends of, of Restaurant.com and Restaurant Startup Growth for a long time. So thank you. What you see in their results, and I would love it if you would speak to them, is that they successfully got their leadership their managers, not just to stress numbers, even though, of course, numbers are important, that's our measurement, but to stress the important things that make the numbers. So how do we get the independent restaurant operator to get with their management team um, and and help them think that way? Uh, Specifically, instead of thinking, I need more sales this Wednesday than last Wednesday. I need a lower labor cost this Friday than last Friday. I have to hit my targets. Okay, I get it. Targets, targets. Um, But how do we get their thinking to then work on the things that will get them to make the numbers rather than just thinking in terms of numbers? Yeah, so um, it, it ties back to what we were talking about earlier in understanding the customer requirements. So if you understand those requirements... And most customers, it'll, it'll be 
six or eight key requirements, quality, hospitality, speed, accuracy, cleanliness, um, value, that sort of thing. And, and so you drill down on those and figure out, all right, what does food quality mean? Well, they want their food hot. Okay, what does hot mean? Well, 165 degrees, or they want their coffee hot, 170 degrees. All right, great. Now we have something we can work towards. When we deliver 170 degree coffee within the time frame that the customer wants with the hospitality that we want, we call that effectiveness, right? So effective is meeting the requirements. And if you hit them all and you, know, you nail it, then that's 100% effective. What we see, and right now is especially a problem with the inflation like it is, that you're hitting that effective point. You're really delivering to the customer and organizations wanna get more and more and more efficient, which they should, but they need to stop when the efficiency cuts into the effectiveness, right? So if speeding things up causes that coffee to be too hot, then we don't wanna go that fast. We want to slow down. So it's effective first, efficient second. So work on efficiency until it starts impacting effectiveness. You see it all the time. You go to the grocery store these days, you know, there's less in the bag or less in the box, even though they're charging the same price. They've cut into the effectiveness in, in the name of efficiency. Yeah. That we... <laughs> will... Yeah. Um, and, and that turns off the customer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wonderful point. Uh, I hope the listeners get that because um, too many times we're looking at trying to increase profitability and so it becomes nothing but more efficiency, more efficiency, more cost cutting. Um, and this helps underline that statement that you can never really just save your way to success. Um, so we're just not gonna be uh, overly efficient if we can no longer you know, meet uh, the effective requirement. And that's well put. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's how you know when to stop trying to be more efficient is when it starts cutting into the effectiveness of your products. Okay, we're as efficient as we can be. Let's go make something else efficient and not try and take any more cost out of it. Because the only way to take cost out of it is to take it out of the product itself. We're going to use inferior ingredients or put less in the cup or um, whatever you know, uh, less staff. So things, you know, slow down. Um, so you have to figure out those customer requirements, define them clearly, create your systems and processes that will deliver on those. And then once you have that, then work on the efficiency. It's interesting. Most organizations think they have to cut costs. Right. The better path is to increase sales by delighting the customer. Perfect, perfect. Uh, can you tell us about the Excellence Advisory? Um, sure. What you're doing now, when did that start and, and how does that benefit independent restaurant operators? Oh, well, um, you know, I was with PALS BEI, the Business Excellence Institute, where we taught the PALS practices for, well, I was there seven years. And um, around the time of, COVID, when it started, then 
um, 80% of that business went away because most of what we did was in person, uh, training classes, consulting, um, 20% of our work was over the phone or the internet, you know, executive coaching and that sort of thing. So um, about that time is when um, I started the Excellence Advice. So I went off on my own and I'm doing uh, consulting, executive coaching, um, teaching training classes. I do, I speak at conferences or company events. Um, and the whole idea is how do we drive mediocrity out of our business? Again, mediocre is fine. You're, you're going you're gonna to stay in business, you know, these days with all that we're up against. If you're in business, you're doing great. But there's a whole lot of room for growth beyond that, that everybody is capable of getting if they set their mind to it. If they have the help, the guidance, they can be the hero in their own story. Um, and really, I, I like to say every business owner deserves to have a great business and every employee deserves to work in a great business. And that's, that's what I do at the Excellence Advisors is help them uh, achieve that. David, I, I talk to people like yourself who um, still have a very positive attitude about the future of the restaurant business um, and even will go as far to say that there are some things that have happened that set us up to even be better, um, although we all say it cautiously because we can't ignore how difficult it's been for people. People have lost their lives to the pandemic, so we don't want to marginalize that. But, but that said, are there any things happening now that you feel are foothold for opportunity that may have been created by this chaos? Absolutely. If, well, I, I think there's two main ones that, that come to mind. Uh, one is as customers are coming back to restaurants, and I think the forecasts are showing that there's going to be sort of a, a, a return, a, a surge of customers coming back to restaurants. They all, all these restaurants have a second chance at a first impression. We don't get that often in life. But when that customer comes back to us, we want to delight them. We want them to, to see that uh, they came to the right place and we're, we're better than we were before or, or maybe they're coming for the first time. Really delight them. And so you got to think about health and safety first because that's on everybody's mind. So you can't just have clean tables or you have to show the customer. They have to see you doing it mm -hmm. before they believe it. So make it visible uh, and, and, and just meet the requirements, whatever, you know, the changing the new requirements because of COVID and post COVID. But we have this opportunity to get another first impression. The other silver lining I see is um, same thing, but on the employee side. We have a chance to improve our employer brand. The signals are loud and clear from, you know, not just restaurants, all businesses, that employees are really taking this opportunity to think about, is this really what I want to do with my life? And so... You can set your business up. There's 
all kinds of good people out there right now looking for that great place to land. Make that your place. And, and it's, not, it's not just about um, salary and benefits. It's about who they work with. It's about that respect. It's, a, it's about all those things in the environment that make the work that that person does meaningful to them and a meaningful part of their life not just a job, which it seemed to be pre-pandemic. The employees have the upper hand right now and they want that better employee experience. So this is an opportunity to go get a whole lot of good people on your team um, by working on that. I like that positive approach. I think if people will look at it that way as the opportunity rather than the problem, uh, the speed bump that we have to get over, you know, the we hear that the people that aren't coming back to work or, uh, you know, the customers that aren't coming back and the supply side that is driving me crazy with interruptions of my product and uh, the the driving force of curbside pickup and third party deliveries making me a little crazy with my paper costs. And, and so, you know, it's, it's like we can't, it's hard to keep up with the amount of uh, negative curveballs if you really wanted to dwell on them all. Absolutely. Right. And, and the pandemic caused them all to hit at once, but they were all still there. Right. Uh, they, just, they just all sort of hit at once. And there are organizations that are doing just fine, uh, you know, so that means it can be done. David, do you get much into issues related to the problems created by the supply chain now in your consulting or um, if even if not, do you have any thoughts about approaches and mindsets in terms of menu development, in terms of the menu that they're offering, in terms of even how your kitchen hiring and, and, and so forth can inform and affect those uh, issues? Yeah. I haven't dealt a lot with supply chain, but what I can say is that just like we want our customers to be good customers of our restaurant, we need to be good customers of our suppliers and build that relationship. So if you want to be in a good relationship with your supplier, pay the invoice the day it shows up. Don't play that 30, 60, 90 day float. When there's a, a shortage or a supply chain issue, who do you think's going to be at the top of their lists to get products? The one that drags it out 90 days or the one that pays the day it shows up? And there's, there's a lot of things like that you can do to be a good customer. And you can even ask the supplier, hey, how can I be a better customer? What can I do that would help you better serve me? And then go implement those things. Some supply chain issues, you just, you know, out of everybody's hands right now. Yeah, sure. You know? um, but others are controllable. And when there's a limited supply, they're going to work with the folks that they have the best relationships with. You're going to get the most grace from them. A lot of this comes back to relationships. I guess that's business in general, though, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, relationships. And the relationships are all based on trust, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the foundation of all relationships. Mm -hmm. So 
Well, you know, we can't talk uh, uh, obviously about staffing today and managing today in restaurants without making note of uh, technology's impact on how we hire, how we accept applications, how we train, how we communicate, how we inform, even how we're taking orders now. Uh, many staff are utilizing, you know, uh, handhelds and all customers are ordering on kiosks. And so um, how does this create either a challenge or maybe an opportunity for the principles that you've outlined today on, you know, correctly uh, you know, and, and effectively uh, meeting all the customer's requirements uh, with a happy staff? Actually, it doesn't really change much. The, the tool changed. It used yeah. to be a pad and a pen, you know, and you write it down and you slap it on the counter and the cook would grab it and off they go. Um, if it goes in through a kiosk, you know, the training's going to change a little bit. Here's, here's how you use this. Here's how you go in. You may want to listen to your employees that have to use that equipment. See, you know, is it uh, configurable at all or tailorable to your needs? Um, so it can work a little better for them. But really, it's just a change of tool. So you update your processes, you update your training, and it shouldn't make a whole lot of difference in how you operate. I like that. The principle's the same. The tool's just changed. Mm -hmm. We get so caught up in the technology, we might lose sight of the fundamentals of hospitality. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And because those fundamentals don't change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, you know, they're based on human nature, and that hasn't changed in how many billion years we, right. <laughs> we've been on the planet. A long time. Yeah, pretty much the same as always been. Excellent. Excellent. It is. It's a people business after all. We've just spent uh, a lot of time hearing from an expert on how to better uh, manage our people, how, how leadership can do a better job developing our people, how owners can do a better job uh, respecting our people. But the bottom line is that you're right. It's still a people business. Uh, the atmosphere and the tools change. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, David, thank you so much. Uh, th this topic is a hot topic. Your opinions are just right on target. I think the, the elements that you were able to share with us should certainly help any of the independents that were listening. So we can't thank you enough for joining us today. I took Thanks notes like much. crazy, David. Uh, you really brought so much clarity to so many uh, topics. Uh, again, I want to express my appreciation for, for your time and, and for your views that I think are, uh, every operator should really uh, think about. You're most welcome, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, continue the good work, please, because our industry needs uh, your leadership and your training uh, and your advisement. So continue, please. I promise I will. And you guys do the same. Thank you. And to all listeners, thank you so much for sharing your day with us. And we hope we can uh, catch up with you real soon on another Corner Booth. We'd like to thank Touch Bistro for sponsoring this episode. Touch Bistro provides an all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform for venues of all sizes, from food trucks to fine dining. Go to touchbistro.com to find out how Touch Bistro can solve your restaurant technology challenges today. Thank you for joining us on The Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. <laughs>